0: Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll.
1: Hello and welcome everyone. You are listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. What is conscious Enterprise and social change. Gino Pastori Ng says transforming the global exploitation based economy into an equitable and life affirming system for collective well being is the greatest challenge humanity has ever faced. We can map every current societal problem to our economic model, which treats life itself as a commodity. Rinaldo Brutico and David Gershon, co-authors of our Moment of Choice, join me today to talk about the core principles of social change and reinventing business and the planet for the good of the whole. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guests Ronaldo Brutico is an accomplished futurist, author, speaker and founding president of the World Business Academy, a collaborative network of mindful individuals collectively exploring the leading edge of business and a preeminent publisher of new paradigm business literature. David Gershon is co founder and CEO of Empowerment Institute and one of the world's foremost authorities on behavior change and large systems transformation. He applies this expertise to issues requiring community, organizational, and societal change. He is the author of 11 books, including Social Change 2.0, a blueprint. For reinventing our world, winner of the National Best Book Award, and welcome to you both. Welcome, Ronaldo.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Julie. Nice to be with you.
1: Nice to be with you, and welcome, David. Thank you, Julie. My pleasure.
2: Good to be with you again.
1: It is nice to be with you, and I'm I'm really happy to have both of you here, and I'm I'm in the moment, kind of surprised that neither of you have been on my show before. So this is going to be a real treat. And I just want to pause and let our listeners know that both of you have such impressive credentials. I'm encouraging all of you to go to the websites. We'll give you those um, links with the show links and check out who David and Ronaldo are. Their work is incredible. So, Ronaldo and David, I have a traditional first question here on the show, and I have not had either of you on the show before, so I want to begin with that, because we like to set the stage of our conversation into this larger worldview of wholeness here. And so I'm just curious if, let's start with you, Ronaldo. Um Can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you?
0: Well, I think that... Um one of the where, one of the clear awarenesses that we've evolved to as a species, and, and I use the word evolved carefully because, as you know, the human species has evolved more than 32 times already, and um, we don't have a lot of regret that there are no more um, chromagnon men, there are no more Neanderthals, there's no more Homo erectus, they're all gone. And that chain of evolution led to where we are today. And I think that the single distinguishing characteristic between who we are as conscious beings today and what we were even as recently as 50 years ago is the difference between knowing that we are one. So what I call unitary consciousness. And, and, and if you think about the history of Homo sapiens, sapiens, which is a species I was born into many years ago, that's the man or woman who knows that they know. So that's a reflective consciousness. The new species, which I have evolved to and which many other people have evolved to and now people are being born into, is this species which my dear sister who passed away not too long ago um, came up with uh, and I with um, the the name uh, Homo universalis. Uh, and when I talk about Homo universalis, what I'm really talking about is we are the man or woman who knows that we know, Okay, that's homo sapiens sapiens. And what we know is that we are one universal consciousness. And if you understand that clearly, then you understand the relationship to the biosphere is one of symbiosis. If you understand that, you realize that the baby born in Africa of malnutrition is our baby. You understand that a child that dies anywhere is your child, that someone in, in having any adverse impact on their life is all of our adverse impact. That's to me, what oneness is all about. And when Barbara Marks Hubbard and I, and I referred to her second ago, mm-hmm. so Barbara passed away a couple of years ago, and, but, but very recently actually. And, and when Barbara and I would talk about this 12, 12 years ago, we kept trying to figure out what was the most important distinguishing characteristic of this new evolved species. And what we came up with was this awareness of universal consciousness. Mm-hmm. So we call it homo universalis, that's who we are. I love that
1: And I I can tell both of your chapters have been written written from that perspective and I, I hope we have a, a moment to really weave that unitary consciousness into the conversation today. I know we will. So David, how can you ins- expand on that? What does all things connected mean to you?
2: Well, firstly, Ronaldo brilliant and so exciting to be playing with you in this context. Ronaldo and I are old friends and we come together in and out over the years. So we'll be able to build on each other's ideas as we've been doing many times. Uh, What it means to me is that this is the path humanity must walk. Uh, It's got many dimensions to it from a social change point of view. It means that everything that gets created has to be designed as a whole system because we are all one. And it means that anyone who is trying to change things in a polarized way will fail, because half of the people, or whatever percentage feel polarized, will push back against it. So if we are going to live that spiritual truth, we need to learn how to walk the talk. One of the things that I'm doing right now, which we can speak to, uh, if, if appropriate, is a game called Peace on Earth by 2030, which is all about creating a pathway for people to walk the path of oneness. So it's very dear to my heart. I would say it's the organizing principle of my life, the path of oneness. And I would say that um, all of the deconstruction going on right now, which is essential for this new upgrade, is going to uh, enable that path to be walked because we're seeing that anything less than that is just not functional as a social system any any subset of the of the whole the social system is not working because of that old belief the separate separation belief so here in my heart
1: Mm, I love that and the organizing principle of your life I, I I'm with you on that I'm just really feeling um, both of your voices um, really amplified through this book as well as as your life's work here and'm I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping into this I'm going to start with a few general questions from from the chapter itself or from the circle where where this book is designed into seven circles and it's really, Fascinating how this book came together, and and we've talked about that on the on the first couple of shows here. But your circle is conscious enterprise and social change, like I mentioned in the intro. So, we, there's a few more chapters uh, and a few more authors who've contributed to this circle. So I just want to throw in a couple of ideas, and then I want to dive deeper into both of your. Chapters, and I encourage you to jump in on each other's stuff too. Just like you said, David, you you both can weave back and forth and and really tie these tie a ribbon on some of um, the others' comments and and ideas and structures here that we're going to talk about here. So, first, Steve Farrell mentions in the the very first chapter that for. Real business revolution we first need to revolution. We need a revolution in humanity's conscious evolution. And both of you just spoke to that, that idea of conscious evolution and social change. And so as we're looking at this, our moment of choice, and really looking at the revolution of business and entrepreneurship and social change of how we live on this planet, can you speak more about that conscious evolution that we just spoke to on that opening question, and Ronaldo? Let's begin with you.
0: Well, the um, and we all, um, David and I, not only do we work together, David and I belong to the academy together for many years, and Steve uh, is a mutual friend that goes back a long time. I, I think that what um, what we need to focus on is the nature of how consciousness requires different social responses and in order to progress or you get a disintegration. And, and, and this is really well covered in G- David Gershon's section of the circle, because he talks specifically about social change 2.0, which is his famous book. And uh, he says uh, quite accurately it, for 40 years, David's been like a change theorist. That's of, of international repute. So I think what David's, focusing on is the old ways of doing things, social change 1.0, simply cannot address the issues of, of system breakdown that we are clearly in. From my point of view, I look at how to change what I believe is the biggest lever in the world, which is the business community, so it sees it in its economic and long-term best interest, since I would even argue now its short-term best interest, to basically radically change its perception of its role in society. Now, I, I don't know if that's where you would like to go with that comment, but because Steve is in the part of the circle or the chapter dealing with business, I would take your co- question there. Is that, is that where you'd like yeah, to go? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So um, when we started the Academy in 1986, um, there weren't a lot of people in the room, as you can imagine. Um, The idea of conscious business being done from the point of view of business as a steward, uh, young people going into business, seeing themselves entering a noble profession, so they act more like they're in the temple than the jungle, and the public putting its money where its deeper values are. These are the three founding principles of the academy. We did that because we perceived that the business community's fundamental zeitgeist had to change or it would fail, meaning you would have economic destruction. And, and part of how you can see that playing itself out in this, and I'm boring again David's concept, a 1.0 world hasn't yet fully embraced this newer consciousness. Now, since 1986, when we started, it's become clear now that a minority, but a substantial minority and clearly the leading edge of the business, think, business intelligence community has embraced this. This, this whole new consciousness has now been embraced. And the way you can best uh, articulate that is by pointing out that since the 70s, when we started seeing these massive wealth inequalities enter the U.S. Uh, world, um, uh, we, we thought that the purpose of business was just to take care of shareholders. And we didn't understand this holistic concept that a business is here to have multi-stake involvement. And so, the, the the idea of that particular, era, which was unfortunately, Milton Friedman and the Chicago school introduced this idea of like, hey, the only legitimate purpose of business is to make money for shareholders, and everything else is like, wrong. And from that basic awareness, we got into a very bad trap. And given how big and powerful business is, when they built themselves a trap, they built themselves one hell of a trap. A trap that is so strong and powerful that if they didn't change the trap they would literally destroy the global economic system. And I wanna share with you, Dr. Julie, we are sitting on the precipice right now of the entire global economic system being destroyed. So just to put it clear to people, we're not talking about a change that may happen. We're not talking about uh, what business will do if it's smart. What we're talking about is what business will do to survive and increasingly The smartest people in business, Ray Dalio, Paul Tudor Jones, um, uh, Warren Buffett. I mean, I could list all the really leading lights that I really respect. They all get it, and they're all articulating, articulating this thing we talk about for many years now called stakeholder capitalism. So much so that the Business Roundtable, which is 186 CEOs, embraced it in a major pronouncement saying that we were wrong. Taking care of shareholders alone is not the idea. Now, I wanna come back to how that flaw occurred. It occurred because of the misperception. Friedman was responsible for it. Thank God stakeholder capitalism is the final repudiation of Friedman's economics. The, the The way we got into that box is we forgot that business doesn't operate separate from society. Business is a subset of society. And if it's when it stops thinking that it gets into trouble. And how I like to tell my business friends that, because as you see from my background, I've been a merchant banker for 40 years. I, I say, like, you know, nobody makes money in Syria except guys who sell bombs. Nobody makes money in any of the trouble spots in the world, except people who make either armaments or weapons of destruction. And there are very few of them around compared to how many of us there are in the normal business context. So if you think you can survive as a business culture in something as disparate and desperate as Iraq or Iran, Iraq or Afghanistan, you don't understand fundamentally you are a subset of that bigger culture. And that's how business has now begun to embrace that awareness. And so when we when I founded it, I'm, I'm a co-founder of a thing called Just Capital six and a half years ago, which I urge all of your listeners to go look up JustCapital.com. It's a nonprofit. Uh, we launched it out of uh, the Academy and out of uh, Chopra Foundation when I was running both simultaneously. And the, the idea was if we could rank the 1000 biggest companies in America based on what their conduct would be if they were acting justly, what would that look like? So we went out and we've now done 110,000 interviews of people all over America about what they think just corporate behavior would be. And we published those findings in seven buckets where we rate the thousand largest companies in the United States, public companies, every year. Our partner in releasing that data is Forbes Magazine, which is one of the most conservative business publications around. Our partner in executing on the economic side of that is Goldman Sachs, and they're by far the most conservative of all the business, of the uh, of the Wall Street houses. And what is the essence of what we rank? What we rank is how well each of those companies takes care of all of their stakeholders. So this is the new holism, and I'm now tying this whole thing back to your beginning, uh, opening question. This sense of oneness with society has been the critical determining factor. Business now gets it. Will they, will they change their behavior fast enough to be able to deal with the crisis that we've built for ourselves or not? That's the question. And we don't know the answer to that. I'm hoping the answer is yes. But given the, the, the and we haven't talked about climate change, yes, but that's the pressure cooker this whole thing occurs in. If we have enough time, business will get there. The problem is, do we have that time? I don't know. And I think that what David does, and let him, I'll let him speak to his own work, but David's basically doing a kind of like a one-on-one people of the world. How can I help women become more self-actuated and protected? I'm looking at it from the aggregate level. How do we create an awareness of oneness is good for your bottom line? Oh, and by the way, it's good for you as a human being. And it's the way that you can best perform your duty as a subset of society in the business context.
1: Yeah, that's a, a, a thank you, Ronaldo. It's such a comprehensive response to this. And in, instead of asking David t- for you to add to that, you, you mentioned um, David's social change 2.0 and that really we're coming in with the consciousness now, David, that social change 1.0 is just not going to deal with the complexity of, of everything we're looking at. So maybe you could introduce us to what is social change 2.0 here and how does that, how does that relate to the conscious evolution that we're talking about here with this social change that's necessary?
2: I think that's a good way to go. And Ronaldo, again, hats off to your brilliance on this whole vision that you have for business. We need that level of depth and coherence of thinking. Yay. Bless you, my brother. So the world is a function of many social systems. I'm going to talk about our world from a social system point of view. Health healthcare system, economic system, political system, uh, education system. Those systems are deeply stressed for many, many different reasons, not the least of which is climate change, but there's many others. Globalization and technology, speed of change, and you name it. So when a social system becomes stressed, it starts to oscillate and perturbate and become unmoored from that which holds it in place. When it becomes unmoored, it becomes destabilized and breaks down and becomes dysfunctional or marginally functional. And that is the state of the world for the most part. Our political system is a poster child for a completely broken system. Uh, The good news is when a system breaks down, it can also break through because it is unmoored. That which has held it in place all this time is no longer holding it in place. So it can evolve to a higher level of performance and social value which in systems theory is called Second Order Change. And the book I wrote, Social Change 2.0, is how to do second order change. And second order change, in contradistinction to first order change, uh, is transformational. First order change is incremental. And first order change is what per- currently is being used to change systems, including the economic system. And that includes passing laws, uh, so of forcing someone to change. Financial incentives or disincentives, paying someone to change. Awareness campaigns, telling someone what to do and hoping they will change. And protest, cajoling and embarrassing and shaming someone to change. When those don't produce a result, that is to say when a first-order change intervention is trying to create a second-order change result and does not produce the result desired, then people get very sad, depressed, deflated and somewhat hopeless. But there's another way. And that other way is empowering someone to want to change, to give them a compelling enough vision and the tools to manifest it so that they see that they have agency. And that has been the work of my my institute and my work for some four decades is building second order change social innovations around the most critical levers that humanity must address to sustain its viability on the planet. And one is climate. So we got to keep the planet. We have to figure out how to address climate change in the time frame that we have, which is part of the challenge. Another is war and how to really address the issue of humanity's current dysfunctional behavior that doesn't allow human species to continue when it decides to kill people when it doesn't agree with their ideas. And the third one is, is in the area of poverty, which is uh, some of the work we're doing around that is our peace on earth game. Another work thing we're doing in the climate is our cool block and carbon neutral city work, which Ronaldo's helping us on in different ways. And the third is around our women's empowerment work in the developing world, which is called Imagine, which Rinaldo alluded to. So those are second-order change interventions Mm -hmm. designed to change the game in those spaces. And the definition of social change 2.0 is behavioral change at scale. If you're not actually changing behavior and scaling it, then all you're doing is working around some of the symptoms like or some, some tactics, like passing up brochures or passing a law or creating a financial incentive doesn't necessarily change anything. It's just a tool. And if it's designed to get second-order change, that tool is less and less effectual, as we have seen in so many countries that have all the right laws and all the right financial incentives, have all the right things, but they're not getting the structural systemic change to take place because the tool is not designed for that kind of change. So that's the work that I do, and, and that's how I see the world from this Vantage point
1: of social change. I love how these are weaving together and how we're really going to be able to bring a fullness to this whole topic by the end of the show. And David, I just want to pause and go back to the statement that you said, because I love, love, love that quote in the book. And you just talked about it, that when social change is not tethered to something that keeps it in place, it cannot only break down, it can also break through and evolve to a higher level of performance and social value, you say in the book. And I just want to pause for a minute and give you two minutes here before we go to break to say, what does that really mean? Maybe there's some examples of social systems that are tethered to something that keep them in place and others that aren't. Can you give us a specific example of what you mean when it's tethered?
2: Well, let's look at our political system. Um, uh, I mean, that's a good one for now. Right. So we're tethered right now to a two party system that, you know, has gotten limped along. Um, It hasn't been able to get second order change. But now the stresses are so great between climate and COVID and racial justice issues and, you know, the dysfunctionality of our current uh, one of the parties, the Republican Party in our system right now and this current president. So it is completely dysfunctional and broken down. I would say the political system has never functioned well. Uh, I think there is a need for a second order change intervention in the political system that looks very, very different. It's based on oneness. It's based on a different reality system than we currently operate with. Um, But we're not there yet. And we will get there sooner or later. And I think the reason we're going to get there is because eventually, and, and I, by the way, see, the I, I'm I'm an optimist. So I always see the, the best opportunities in everything. And I think what we're seeing now, at least in the political system, is what it looks like when a system breaks down and starts dying, which is then creating the opportunity for people who know what to do with it uh, to help it break through to a higher level of performance and social value. And what that looks like, it'll start to look like people coming up with social innovations around democracy, around voting, around uh, the notion of us and them. I mean, there's gonna be a whole set of, they'll be primarily spiritually minded people who will come in. I was just hearing today about a guy who's running for president, who's a crypto billionaire, you know. and there's a lot of them, been president, I guess, in four more years. Uh, who are now, he's a millennial, wanting to show up in new ways. There's a lot of people showing up in that space. They're going to need a lot of help. But, but, but they're starting to show up. And, they, and, and that's happening. And Ronaldo is a perfect case in, in the economic social system. You know, he's got the ideas and, you know, he's building the, the platforms and, you know, he has the intellectual breadth and depth that's required when you build a new social system. It's got the spiritual depth and breadth that you'll need. And the practical experience. Every single social system has its system entrepreneurs, if you will, who are spiritually led, who understand the principle of oneness as an organizing principle for any social system, and who are driving, you know, the changes. So I see the breakthroughs happening. In fact, I'll, I'll end with this little segment with a my favorite quote from John Gardner, social science researcher, talks about the world is. Uh, Full of breathtaking opportunities disguised as insoluble problems. Um, so, you know, when you see the world through the eyes of second order change, all you see are breathtaking opportunities, whereas the world sees them as insoluble problems because mm-hmm. they can't solve them with the current strategies they're using, if you will, the same level of thinking that created the problems in the first place, to quote Einstein.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. And I love this idea of, of the spiritual moving into the political system in that reformation process and evolution process. And Ronaldo calls, I love this term, the business warrior monk. So we're going to talk about much more of this. I'm here with Rinaldo Boudicca and David Gershon. And I am Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, there'll be so much more on... Oh, so much more on social change and, and conscious enterprise. We'll be right back. The Empower Meditation Channel. Nonstop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at Empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel.
0: I don't believe it. My savings are gone. They're gone. You're kidding. Nope, they're gone. They're gone. Gone. Okay, all right. Think about it. Where did you have them last? I remember I was home, then I took them, and then I spent them on that vacation to Aruba. Then I bought this miniature suit of armor I saw in the in-flight magazine. And that's the last you saw of your savings? Yes. This is so weird. I know, right? Right. Weird? Uh, not really. Not saving now means no money later. You'd be surprised how quickly a little money from
1: every paycheck can really add up. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org.
0: The armor is cool, though. Oops. I think I broke its gauntlet. You broke my favorite part. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council.
1: Kelly Clarkson and I've toured the country dozens of times and there's one thing every state has in common childhood hunger the sad truth is that 17 million kids don't know where their next meal is coming from or if it's even coming at all yet there are billions of pounds of surplus food around the country at farms and warehouses that could help end this injustice but all that food is useless if it doesn't get where it needs to go That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids before it goes to waste. But they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. Find out how at feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're Feeding America. To help solve hunger in your community and to find your local food bank, visit FeedingAmerica.org. That's FeedingAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.
0: Check out my new time machine. Does it work? Hit the button. Hey, it's Napoleon. Check out the future. Hey, you have a nice house. Why don't I? You didn't save any money, buddy. If only there was a way I could go back in time and fix that. Yeah.
1: Save something for the future. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ways to save, go to FeedThePig.org. That's FeedThePig.org.
0: This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio.
1: Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There's lots of ways to do that. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com and goodofthewhole.org. We are here with two guests, which is a part of a larger series on the book, Our Moment of Choice. We are stepping through each circle here, bringing you new guests each week, really digging into this groundbreaking book, this vital prescription for humanity in today's milieu. And you can find this book, Our Moment of Choice, at OurMomentOfChoice.com. And so welcome back to the second half. And Rinaldo, I want to jump to you for a second, and then we're going to go back to David. You each have some really, I think, important pertinent prescriptions for us. And, and Rinaldo, over the 30 years, you've successfully helped, your organization successfully help build for-profits, non-profits, all kinds of enterprises that and here's the thing that I love, strive to take responsibility for the whole. And we've been talking about that wholeness, that unitive consciousness and and who we are as a people now. So in the book, you bring in your threefold mission statement. And to me, this is a comprehensive yet simple prescription for us all, a lesson for us all. And I just want to read them one at a time and just have you expand on it because adopting this as your mission statement inspires me to, um, number one, I love how you put it. It's kind of like we do this because of this. And I love that the because is on these three pieces, but I'm going to read one at a time and let you really say more about it because I think it is really powerful medicine for us. So the first one is to shift the consciousness of existing business leadership from predator to steward, because we act differently when we accept we are responsible for the result of our actions. Brilliant stewardship. Can you say more about that?
0: Um, The the idea that if you are a steward, if you, you see yourself as being responsible for the continuity of that which you've been given the opportunity to manage, that's a very different consciousness than that of a predator. A predator is a um, an engulf and devour. It's it's Gordon Gecko, and it, for a long time, uh, greed is good was the was the mantra of Wall Street. And so, what we we when we started in '86, and these these three have not changed since the day we started the academy in 1986. These three have remained identical. Um, what we were saying was if people developed a stewardship consciousness, that's more like stakeholder capitalism, they would not only be happier, they would do much better financially. And, and we've been able now to prove that. So we, we, we did a test, for example, with um, about a year's worth of data, a year and a half. We showed it to, to Goldman Sachs and we said, look, these companies perform better as stakeholder capitalists, than the one other ones, the other 900 we interviewed or looked at. And they also produce the best bottom line for their shareholders. They make more money. And at first, Goldman couldn't believe that. So Goldman spent about a year with its own internal uh, number crunching and concluded, my God, it looks like you're right. So we launched an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, which only had those 100 companies in it. And from the day we launched it three and a half years ago till today, it has consistently outperformed the market every single month in up markets and down, proving conclusively that if you're conscious, it would make sense that you'd be able to make more money because the conscious person is aware and adapts more quickly. One of the things that we has been our, our motto in the academy is share the vision, build the network, heal the planet. Well, when we first started sharing the vision, the vision was of a non-predatory business class. I would say we can actually declare some success on that. Right now, it is clear business will never go back to thinking of itself as a predator in a noble way. Gordon Gecko has died at the hands of the marketplace, which is what what should kill him. See, the benefit of business is that we have to change or we die. So we have the number one best talent for the crisis we're facing today. And if I might digress just for a moment, because it relates to all three of these points. We know that the central issue of our time is the speed of change. So if, if, we've always had change, right? Heraclitus said you can't step twice in the same stream, meaning that by the time you put it there, the water's new water. So we've always had change, but we've never had change accelerating this fast on us. And that speed of change is the enemy. Well, the one institution in our society which is completely equipped to deal with is business. We change or we die every day in the marketplace. So I figured if we could get the the business community to see how change is in its interest and to embrace change. And I I take my hat off to someone like David who academically is able to articulate a 2.0 strategy. I did it something much simpler. I just appealed to people's economic incentives. And I said, look, I'll show you how I can build companies that make more money than you do. And those companies will do better because they are conscious. And so the idea of a steward in any business enterprise I submit to you, and now the Just 100, Just Capital proves it conclusively with we've been in business six and a half years, clearly proves that is true. It cannot be refuted. So all of a sudden, the biggest names in business are no longer fighting the idea, should I be a good guy or should I make more money? They now recognize that being appropriate, they actually will make more money. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think there's a lot more we can say about that. But I think you get the point because it instantly follows that you'd have to be willing to surrender <laughs> egregious CEO executive salaries in, in, in favor of better pay equity. Uh, my good friend um, uh, over uh, <laughs> at, at Abbey Disney. Uh, so who's the, you know, the, the niece of uh, Roy Disney. Uh, Abby, uh, who's on the board now of Just Capital, was so glad she accepted her invitation. Abby is ticked off that uh, Bob Iger wouldn't take half of his $168 million uh, bonus two years ago and give half of it. He'd still be left with 80 some million just to the people at the parks who make barely minimum wage, if that. So the idea that pay equity is the counterbalance to excessive CEO greed is what flows from the idea of being a steward rather than a predator.
1: I love that. Let me read you the next one. And um, David, feel free to jump in here after this if you wanna say anything, but we've got two more here that I think, like I said, are good medicine to shift the consciousness of young people going into business, particularly at business schools, to see themselves as entering a noble profession rather than a jungle because we act differently in the temple than we do in the jungle.
0: Yeah, I, uh, what that was about and particularly in 1986 when we first wrote it, it was clear that a lot of young people were going, particularly into our business schools, for the wrong reason, if you will. And I use the word wrong in quotes. They were going to get rich. They weren't going to do good. And so we said, you know, the metaphors and, and back in the 1886 era, the metaphors in business were like war metaphors or jungle metaphors. You remember the expression, kill or be killed, right? Eat or be eaten, you know? That, that that sort of permission you give yourself in the jungle to react in a violent way because everything is seen as predatory against you, that has to go. And you have to see yourself when you, and I, I, one of the talks I gave many years ago, if when you got ready to go to work in the morning, whether it's you, Dr. Julie, wearing um, uh, the feminine equivalent of a business suit, or it's a guy who used to wear a suit and tie that doesn't wear it anymore, And and if you look in the mirror as whatever your garb is that you put on to go to work in the morning, if you look at yourself and you saw yourself as garbing, as putting on your robes for the temple, from that moment on that day, it would be hard for you to act in a way that was atavistic, greedy, or threatening to others. Because you don't do that in the temple. You do that in the jungle. So that's what that was about. And the other thing was... was we wanted, to, we wanted to to lance the the false belief that a Gordon Gecko type philosophy actually makes money. It doesn't. And I'll, and I'll give you the best example is in the world right now. It's so typical and topical. I've been working out of New York with offices on the East Coast for 35 years, New York and Washington DC, as well as here on the West Coast. And I've got so many friends in so many large firms in, in New York and so many friends in law firms in New York, et cetera. And not one of us ever thought of Donald Trump as a businessman. Ever, so when his show got on the air, uh, The Apprentice, we all laughed. We said, "Well, what a what a what a con guy! What a what a personality! Uh, the guy can't operate a way out of wet paper bag. He's one of the worst business people we know. He's a, he's an entertainer, yes. He's a, a steak oil salesman, yes. He's a promoter, yes. But he's not a business person." And all of us in New York and the business community, we all knew that. Well, you now have his the proof of that in his tax returns. It turns out no one's ever lost more money in their business career than this guy. He blew his first 400 million from his father. And then he blew a second 400 and some million that he made from The Apprentice. And he's probably 320 to $420 million in debt right now, and has been money laundering for 10 years, or he would already have been broke. Now, I say all of that based on facts that are currently in front of the public and in the record. Why is that relevant? Because when he was doing that show, and other people were putting things on the air, young people, would look at that and think, well, that's how you behave if you wanna be rich and successful. If you wanna to get to be a billionaire, you gotta be a heartless, cruel um, manipulator, conniver. And of course, that's the opposite of what you wanna to do to be successful in business, but most importantly, it's the opposite of what you wanna to do to be successful in life. I could not give you a better example, a more glaring example of why we wrote that admonition for young people as the second uh, second thing, the shift of consciousness of young people.
1: Mm. Thank you. That's a great example. And the the third one you've already addressed, so we don't need to go into it because you've talked about the just capital and, and what's happening with the ETF. But it the third one is to shift the consciousness of the public at large to put its money where its deep values are. Because when public does this, business thrives in response. And so, so David, I want to turn to you because all three of these are really good prescriptions for social change. And and you're the expert on that. One of the things in your chapter that I really appreciate is those three questions that you suggest that we keep in front of us. If we want to change the world, we continue to ask these questions, not just answer them once, but continue to revisit it, which is how do we reinvent social change? How do we reinvent social activism? And how do we reinvent the planet. And as I'm listening to Ronaldo's response, just then I'm seeing a lot of those questions asked and responded to and asked and responded to. So I'm wondering if you want to tie all that together and really look at those questions and how that weaves into where we've been so far in the conversation.
2: All things connected. You are living up to your mantra. Um, I will do my best. So let me, let me, um, let me speak to something that came before those three questions which was the realization that we all recognize we need to change. The current state of the world's trajectory is unacceptable for keeping the planet and humanity's well-being uh, in, a, in a, a place that we would consider a good life uh, or even a viable life. So we, we need to change, but we don't know how. So what do we need to do to change? Well, these questions came out of that sort of framing. Uh, So we need to reinvent the way we think about change. Let's start with that. If the current ways that we are bringing about change are not producing results and we continue to follow the same approaches and continue to get the same results, then that's not so smart. So we have to reinvent social change. We have to reinvent the process by which someone steps onto that path. Most people on the path of social change <clears throat> tend to start with the question of what's wrong and how to fix it. So the change that is created, if in fact it can even be effective at all, is defined by the problem, which is not the way to get the world that we want uh, into play. So when you start defining the, the solution by the problem, then you're defined, you're, you're limited by your definition of the problem. But part of how we reinvent social activism is we have to define the solution by our imagination. And when we open up to our imagination, then all things are possible then the only limit is our imagination. And I believe that all things are possible. There's no reason that I can, that I know of that would put a limit on what's possible. And then, and then the last question, you know, is how do we reinvent the planet? Well, that's actually a question that I have spent the last several decades answering. And this chapter speaks to that question, so called the called blueprint for reinventing the planet. And, and I alluded to that a little bit, three of the issues that are part of that, climate um, and war and poverty. But the other two are, is the knowledge systems that we're using to create change. Uh, think about it. Where are we seeing innovation around change strategies? Very rarely we have a problem. We use what we've always used. So they're not getting the job done. So this Reinventing the Planet strategy has a whole thing on building second-order change capacity around the planet. And the fifth lever, and this is an interesting one, is reinventing the way money is invested in the change process. Most people investing who are philanthropists or businesses doing corporate social engagement, conscious businesses, invest in 1.0 solutions, hoping to get a 2.0 result. So their ROI is quite limited. And so there's trillions of dollars philanthropically or through corporate philanthropy or through government investments that are getting very, very limited results, but people keep investing in the same way. So I want to reinvent the way people invest in social change and build a new criterion called social ROI, which is behavior change at scale. If what you're investing in does not have a a theory of change and a and some level of proof that this can get there, then that's not a good ROI and you need to invest better. And that's part of what I'm doing now is meeting with high net worth individuals in Silicon Valley and other places around the world who are realizing they're investing in very traditional strategies. They made their money through disruptive innovations, but they're investing in very, Traditional ways and not getting the ROI they want, and are very disenfranchised as a result. I have money, but I can't get the ROI I want. I can't change the world. So that's the the big picture of reinventing social change itself.
0: Yeah, I, let me just throw in one thing to Dr. Julie. Um, when David or I talk about really a, a completely different mindset, a different output, different consciousness of social change. Often what I get pushed back on is, well, how can we afford that? We can barely afford what we've got right now. And what I'm sure David would agree with is, we can't afford not to. As I said earlier, we are are already in a global recession. It could easily tip into a global depression. And it turns out that if you were to engage in Change 2.0 or in the type of business that we've been articulating uh, as an approach in the academy for all these years, you would find that it would create wealth greater than you could imagine. Let me me tell you what I mean by that. Every time society has progressed forward, it has broken through to a new level of economic prosperity. Often that is triggered by a change in um, uh, fuel systems. So when we went from basically animal power to wind power with windmills, we went from windmills to Uh, basically uh, one form of oil, of course there was whale oil for lamp lighting originally and then we went on to coal and now we're going into renewable energy. And in every single one of these cases, so we went from, for example, whale oil and coal, uh, whale oil to coal, we ended up with the industrial revolution. And if you look at the GDP of the planet uh, after the industrial revolution versus what it was like before, it is literally like looking at two different worlds. And I think where David's work and mine really come together is that we both understand that the leverage of this type of changed thinking is so dramatic, it will exceed your ability to hold the picture of how good it can be. And that's what I want to put out to people. Uh, earlier, the uh, David said he's an optimist. He knows I am too, even though I'm dealing with a lot of stuff that's pessimistic. And I just want to invite all of your listeners. We do a, a free service, and you can find out anything you want about this by going to worldbusiness.org. But we have this one free service where we we provide three minutes a day in the morning of five positive news stories. So all three minutes, in three minutes, you can read all five of something positive going on somewhere in the world you probably didn't know about. And it's called the Optimus Daily, it's totally free. Uh, We took it out of beta in January of this year, we're up around 35,000 subscribers already and it's just growing like a banshee. And I want everybody to get it for free because I want everybody on the planet, hopefully at least 100 million people, to start their day with a positive thought. The difference between what you do that day, if you start with a positive thought and what you do if you come crawling out from underneath a rock and going, oh my God, how will I ever survive? The difference is dramatic and it's a consciousness shift. And the key word in each of the three you just read, Dr. Julie, was the word consciousness. Yeah. That's what we're trying to change in all three cases. Beautiful. Beautiful.
1: So I wish we had another hour because I'm just getting warmed up and I want to ask more questions about what you're both bringing forward here. But we do have to come to a close in just a few minutes here. So I'm wondering if each of you can just bring a closing remark about the title of the book. Why is this our moment of choice and how should we respond to the choice in this moment? Two minutes.
0: Ronaldo. Well, first of all, uh, the, this, the bad news is we're in a situation where we change or die. Human civilization has gone as far as it can go with this level of consciousness and is now on such an unsustainable trajectory that literally human civilization, as you know it, will cease to exist by 2035. Most people think it's 100 years away. It's not. The acceleration of climate change. It's, it's forcing such pressure on all of our systems that we don't have a lot of time now. So if we don't recognize that, if we don't say, hey, wait a minute, this is not like business as usual. This is something radically different that's coming at us and we have to reconceptualize our world. We have to, for example, stop using fossil fuel. We have to start taxing fossil fuel. And I know that David would say, well, those are 1.0 solutions, but I think some of those 1.0 solutions are gonna be the lever that'll get us to the 2.0 change in thinking. Because we have to now decide as a consciousness, as homo universalis, We have to decide that we are, in fact, one. We literally are in this because we are one. We're one with each other. We're one with the biosphere. And we're one with the consciousness that has to exist if we are going to co-create ourselves into the next level of human evolution.
1: Mm. David, 90 seconds. Sorry to cut you a little short. Okay, got it. No problem.
2: So I just want to say the 1.0 solutions are important. They're just not sufficient. So it's always going to be 1.0 plus 2.0. 2.0 activates the 1.0. So my final thoughts are be a person of hope. Find something that inspires you, that gets you to be part of the solution, because our thoughts create our reality. If we give up on the world, then that is the end state. We can solve any problem. We can create any solution, but we have to believe in ourselves as a species. We have to believe in the future, uh, and if we do have those two qualities of being and those two states of mind, uh, we'll, the rest will follow. So find whatever it is outside of you that gives you hope, and be a person that radiates that out into the world. Go and listen to Bernardo's you know, three minutes of hope every day and positive energy, because that's that's what you can do. Aside from all the other good things you can do, start there.
1: Beautiful. Thank you, David. And thank you, Ronaldo. It's been a, a pleasure really to host you and to bring your wisdom here to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Oh, well, thank you for having me, Dr. Julie.
1: Ronaldo,
2: pleasure. pleasure to be with you and play with you again.
0: Always David <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Always. I mean, for more than a couple decades now.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so and glad. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to seeing what wants to be built here between all of you conscious entrepreneurs here. I love this. And I want to leave you listeners with words from an Apple ad from the 1990s that David included in his chapter. Here's to the crazy ones, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius, because the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.